Hi, Eric Goldwine here from LTCCC's Nursing Home 411 podcast. Last month, the White House made a major announcement about nursing home reforms, and this is perhaps the biggest news for nursing homes in 35 years. So, I figured we should probably spend some time talking about it. There's a lot to discuss, so we've decided to make this a two-part episode. Up next, in part one, I'm joined by LTCCC Executive Director Richard Mollett and Toby Edelman, Senior Policy Attorney for the Center for Medicare Advocacy. And we'll talk about what the announcement means for nursing home residents and also dive into the historical context of these reforms. We'll have part two with our friends from the Consumer Voice later in the week, so make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. But first, part one. Here's our music by Silverman Sound Studios. Hi, welcome to the Nursing Home 411 podcast where I'm here with Toby Edelman, Senior Policy Attorney for the Center for Medicare Advocacy, and Richard Mollett, Executive Director with LTCCC. Now, together they have a combined, what, uh, 60 plus (laughs) years of experience in long-term care advocacy, which, uh, is that right, 60 plus? Is my math right there? I think a little bit more. I've got yeah. 45. What do you have, yeah. Richard? 20. Yeah. 20. There we go. So, so 65, which makes them the perfect people to talk about uh, the new uh, proposed uh, or the new newly announced White House reforms. Now, I've been on uh, countless calls and meetings with uh, Richard and Toby, and more often, more often than not, we're talking about some horror stories or some uh, frustrating, stalled legislation, but a couple of weeks ago, something crazy happened and we got some good news. Uh, So we're going to talk about that. So on uh, February 28th, the White House announced new reforms for improving safety and quality of care in U.S. nursing homes. I'm going to start with you, Toby. What can you tell us about what's in this reform package? What do we like about it? What do we not like about it? What's what are kind of the the basics that uh, that people should know about this? Well, I think I agree with you. It is wonderful. Good news. Uh, And we needed that for a long time. I think the pandemic and all the deaths of residents and staff made pretty clear that we can't keep going the way we've been going. So I think this reform package from the president is a combination of some old issues that we've talked about for a really long time, staffing. We've known for decades that we don't have enough staff in nursing homes and the consequences are very terrible for residents. And that just was reinforced by COVID. So there is, an, there is now going to be a, a new study. We've had a study over 20 years ago that showed that more than 90, 95% of facilities didn't have enough staff. But they're doing a new study because They want to have what are the up-to-date numbers, and then there'll be proposed rules to implement the study recommendations, and that's really, really important. So that's an old issue that we have in this package, but there's some newer issues, like some of the transparency issues and private equity, new ownership types that are a real problem. So there's more information, more corporate chain information, trying to improve Care Compare, the federal website for the public. A lot of good ideas and important recommendations. I think it's a great combination of proposals from the president. What do you think, Richard? 
Oh, I, I agree, of course. Yeah, thanks, Toby. It, it's really, it was really exciting to see. I think it was, as Eric said, it was really exciting mm -hmm. for all of us to see. These are, um, you know, we're not talking about getting um, filet mignon for residents. We're talking about ensuring that they have the uh, access to decent services and a humane quality of life. And I think that the um, the White House has really got, and the president has really gotten behind uh, a range of proposals that um, if implemented will be very effective in, in moving things along. Like it all looks good in theory to me. Um, uh, of course, we need better staffing laws. We need more financial transparency. Mm -hmm. Does this have teeth and how, what, is, what are like the next steps in terms of turning these reforms into, is this happening tomorrow? Is it happening three years from now? What exactly uh, is, is a timeline on an announcement like this and how does it, how does it uh, come into action? Well, which of, which of the things that they said they were going to do very quickly? I mean, some of the enforcement provisions need to be can be implemented now, giving better guidance to survey agencies about how to cite deficiencies, what the scope and severity should be, what actions we're going to take when staffing deficiencies are cited. So some of those things the administration internally can start doing very, very quickly. Some of the other things they need legislative authority, not a lot in this package, but they do need legislative authority if they're going to take enforcement action against chains. Um, Bill Clinton tried to do that in 1998. That was one of his many proposals and that one got shot down very quickly. So for that, we probably need legislation and we know there are difficulties in getting legislation passed now, but a lot can be done and needs to get done quickly. They've got to figure out who's gonna do the staffing study. That's supposed to take place in a year and then proposed rules. So some of those things have to move along very quickly. And I think that it was good to see that. Good to see that they were interested. They weren't just putting out that, oh, we're going to do a study. And then from the study, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do recommendations and, and then rules and, and, and proposed rules, I should say, which could take many years and even go on to another administration. I, I think... I was glad to see that they that they it sounded like they're fast tracking a lot of this. Mm -hmm. And I think as Toby's been saying, and as we've all been saying for for many, many years, the you know, the rules are are really good. They're just not, you know, as Toby says quite often says, and I steal this from her, they're not self-implementing. They need to be enforced. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the things regarding the, you know, going after the the, the worst performing facilities with so-called are, they're called special focus facilities, going after and reducing antipsychotic drugging, um, just improving resident care and quality of life, the resident experience overall, that can happen now. Um, you know, we have, mm -hmm. and, and, and Toby and I, and I are speaking um, next to, to Lori Spatanka, the Consumer Voice, we were all on the stakeholder groups that develop guidance for, for surveyors. So the tools are there, it's just that they are not implementing them. And so I think a lot, you know, again, can be done right now if we have the um, support from the top. I think a lot of it is the bully pulpit, too, of the president announcing this is important makes a tremendous difference. When, when President Bill Clinton announced his nursing home initiative in July 1998, that was like the high point of enforcement. There was a lot of enforcement going on in the country because he made clear that it was important and we had to do it. Now, there were a, 
several uh, nursing home related uh, items that we liked in Build Back Better, such as a 24 hour uh, registered nurse presence, uh, staff to resident ratios, uh, improved uh, data collection and oversight and uh, Build Back Better uh, is, has not gone as we hoped it would, but how do how do the uh, the items in Build Back Better relate or not relate to uh, these reforms included in the White House plan? I think many of them are similar. They're the same. They're the same things. Maybe even identical, not just similar. They're the same thing, but they're now coming from the president, and he's saying he's he's going to do some of them administratively. He doesn't have to wait for legislation, and that's important to realize it can happen now without Congress acting. Some of those, many of those things. Yeah, I agree. Uh, could in, in theory, uh, uh, we're in year two of Biden's term, um, say in 2024, there's a uh, Republican president. And then two years later, could they um, theoretically just reverse um, uh, everything, oh, the reforms that are hopefully going to be put into place, as in, is this a, uh, would these reforms be kind of like fragile in some sense? Well, if they're regulations, they would have to go through, you know, any administration would have to go through notice and comment rulemaking under the Administrative Procedure Act to change them. If it's just a guidance document, we saw what the Trump administration did to uh, President Obama's guidance to surveyors about how to cite deficiencies and when to cite them, they just totally reversed all those policies. So if it's done in this sub-regulatory way, just a guidance document, yes, a different administration can, can change the policy without anything. But if it's a regulation, it's not so simple. I would just add, I mean, that, that's, of course, true, and, and, and it's an important consideration. I'm glad you raised it, Eric. But I think that mm -hmm. in terms of some of the transparency that is in this, you know, the uh, better information mm -hmm. about ownership groups, uh, I think that would help increase, you know, improve accountability over the long term. Um, you know, as, as we always say, transparency is not a substitute for enforcement. But I think right. that there are some things that could be implemented here that would make it much more difficult to, say, start again, ignoring these um, very big and sometimes rather insidious uh, ownership operations. Uh, and I would say the same thing in terms of uh, the special focus facilities that, that I mentioned before and the, um, and, and the campaign to reduce antipsychotic drugging. I think that if we are able to make some substantive improvements in, in both of those areas, that it would be certainly, you know, as we've seen with COVID, there's been an, an increase and we lost a lot of the progress that the industry has made in reducing antipsychotic drugs. But I think it would be very hard to actively turn the page in the opposite direction for some of them. Mm -hmm. But it's always not, not for all, mm -hmm. certainly, as we saw with the Trump administration. I think facilities might also see it's in, in their interest. And I, I've been thinking that what the advocates need to do again is revive the work we did on the high cost of poor care. Uh, it's very expensive to provide poor care to people because you get a lot of bad outcomes for people that could have been avoided 
And if they can avoid them and they can see not drugging people means that people are able to do more for themselves. They're more mobile. They can take care of some of their own needs, some of their activities of daily living. Industry might say, gee, this is in our interest too. So I agree with you, Richard. I think that's a good point. Some of these things, when they see the consequences that it really works better, not only for residents, but for facilities themselves, their own financial bottom line, they might say, okay, we're going to keep doing this. So I think that's a really important point you made. Yeah. yeah. This has not been uh, met without criticism. Uh, I have an article open up uh, saying that former CMS chief Seema Verma blessed nursing home reform proposals. Uh, I know some of the industry leaders have voiced their, uh, to put it lightly, voiced their concerns about these reforms. What are their concerns and what would, uh, what would you two have to say in response to those uh, concerns? <laughs> <laughs> concerns that's much more polite uh, we put out a press release in our office that you know stop whining uh you know try to be part of the solution instead of whining all the time they complain about everything the sky is always falling it's hard to know um you know when they like when the vaccine mandate came out they said oh we're gonna lose all our staff we're never gonna have any staff it's so unfair you can't do this to us well now the mandate is in effect i mean it CMS won in the Supreme Court. It's in fact, the dates have come and gone. And they, today's press says, gee, didn't lose so many staff. It wasn't such a bad thing. So a lot of their complaints are just so much chicken little, the sky is falling. It's hard to believe that, uh, that they can't possibly find any staff, that they're all going to go out of business. It's, it's just a lot of, I don't see how it's even in their interest to make those arguments to say no facility is adequately staffed, who is going to want to put a relative in a nursing home if that's what they say? Why don't they say we are doing everything we can to be staffed? We are making sure we are fully staffed. But no, they say, no, nobody is staffed. It just scares people. I, I don't see how their arguments really help them. It should scare people, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was so glad that you did that alert because it is, it, it, it really is um, whining and it's, uh, unfortunately, you know, just not based in reality or in uh, verifiable data, you know, to constantly mm -hmm. be complaining. And since well before my time, we were talking about how long we've been in the field. But when I read back, you know, materials from the 80s and, and early congressional testimony from the provider associations, it's the same thing. You know, we don't get enough money to provide good care mm -hmm. and we have trouble getting staffing. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, the studies have shown that these uh, staffing turnover in facilities averages over 100%, like 125% for CNAs and 98% for licensed nurses. That is, how could that be sustainable anywhere? So it's not a matter of, of being able to attract people. It's a matter of being able to keep them because working conditions tend to be extremely poor. It's mm -hmm. constantly listed as one of the most dangerous professions in the country mm -hmm. to be a nurse mm -hmm. aide. And the, um, and the salaries are very poor compared to other healthcare uh, concerns. And, you know, again, this is one interesting thing about the, you know, the president's proposal is that we're going to be, you know, looking at more financial accountability. And that's what we've seen, of course, in some of the states. And I think that's, and, and in Congress, and I think that's, that's really important. There should be bipartisan support for that. It used to be as Toby well knows. Yeah, well, you know, I remember the first hearing in July, 1998, chaired by Senator uh, Chuck Grassley from Iowa. And he said, 
mostly nursing homes rely on public funds. This is Medicare and Medicaid funding. We should get better care for our money. It's very basic, a very basic point. Um, I mean, our perspective is these are our family members. We want them to get good care. But his position, you know, that's a reasonable position. And it is part of what the 87 reform law says. Secretary has, you know, is supposed to make sure that the standards and their enforcement are adequate to protect residents' health, safety, welfare, and rights, and to make sure public funds are properly spent. That's the secretary's responsibility. Senator Grassley said it, you know, that's what we, it's our money. We want better care. We have a right to expect better care. And uh, so, Toby, you called these reforms without question the most important and positive changes in federal nursing home law and policy since the nursing home reform law was enacted in 1987. Now, you know a a thing or two about this reform law. And if you could uh, first start by explaining why uh, you helped uh, develop that um, Reform Act. So if you could start by explaining why that was uh, such an important moment in uh, long-term care, and also explain what we can learn from uh, from the events of 35, uh, is my math right? Uh, yeah, 35 <laughs> yeah. years ago and yeah. before that, uh, and uh, what we can learn from, from that time as we're thinking about the reforms in, uh, in the Biden uh, plan. For me, the history of the 1987 nursing home reform law begins with January 21st, 1981, the first day of the Reagan administration. And what was done that day was repeal regulations of Jimmy Carter's administration, elevating residents' rights from what was then called a standard to a condition of participation. When that got in the newspaper, uh, front page of the New York Times, I believe, the administration said, oh, we're not, we're not going to turn back the clock. Don't, no, don't worry about that. We're not going to do that. Um, then we saw regulations that were going, draft regulations that would eliminate residents' rights entirely. The industry said there's no statutory authority. Got into the newspapers. They said, we're not going to do that. Then they were trying to change survey and certification, less than annual certification, self-survey by facilities deemed status to an accrediting agency. Congress said, we're stopping this. They passed two moratoria stopping legislative change and came up with a compromise with the administration that there would be an independent study by the National Academy of Sciences Institute of Medicine. And that report came out in March 86 and was the basis of the reform law. And Congress passed, um, there, were, there were bills in the House, two bills in the House, one in the Senate, and they became more and more similar as time went on until well, there were hearings in every uh, relevant committee. And then we got the reform law passed in 1987 as part of the Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act. So it changed everything about nursing homes. It changed the standards of care. Now, when the Institute of Medicine's report came out, um, the what is now called Consumer Voice, then was called uh, National Citizens Coalition for Nursing Home Reform, organized a campaign for quality care. And we met weekly for a year to talk about what was in the Institute of Medicine report that we thought would make sense for the sta- for nursing home reform. And basically we talked about the standards of care for facilities. And we learned a lot because if you sit there week after week, 
you stop talking and you start listening and you learn a lot from your colleagues. Anybody who cared could come and everybody did come. Professional associations, advocates, the nursing home industry, everybody was there talking. And we agreed very much on what the standards of care should be. And you really, even to this day, don't have a lot of objections from the facilities because saying there should be an assessment and we should base the care, base the care plan on the resident's assessment. There should be residents' rights. We should have uh, trained people. I mean, certified nurse aides should know what they're doing and be competent before they provide care. That seems sort of basic, but when the law was passed, half the states didn't require that aides be trained. So the standards of care were pretty much agreed to. Survey was completely non-controversial. Everybody said you need to have surveyors, unannounced surveys. Uh, they should be trained and competent too. That's obvious. Multidisciplinary, unannounced, no discussion. The part that had no agreement basically was enforcement. The industry did not want to be held accountable for meeting the standards of care that they agreed were appropriate. And so that's been, to me, the biggest part of the law that we've never really gotten implemented. We do not enforce every, anything practically. Almost everything is called no harm. And the way CMS interprets the law, they want to focus on the worst providers, the top 5%, maybe, uh, but not the other parts of the law. And the reform law, when, before the reform law, the only thing the government could do was terminate a facility, kick it out of the program. Nobody wanted to do that. Uh, that's really dangerous for residents to be moving them around. So the point was to have a whole range of remedies, like the fines at that time, $50 to two, 10,000 a day. That's a pretty big range. If it's a small problem, you have a small fine. If it's a big problem, you have a big fine. You want to have a range of things to do when facilities aren't in compliance with the law, when they're not providing good care. But we haven't done that. We really have limited enforcement to the extent we do it at all to the very, very worst situations. And that's been a problem. Uh, this is, I, I, I have to plug our joint newsletter, our uh, Elder Justice <laughs> yes. No Harm newsletter, where yes. we uh, uh, regularly publish examples of deficiencies that are just harrowing, and yet they're mm -hmm. deemed uh, to have not caused a resonant harm. We'll put links to that and some of the other materials in the show notes. And just back to the Reform Act, this was under President uh, Republican President Ronald Reagan, correct? Yes. Who whose first thing was to deregulate nursing homes? Yes. And this this is how we got the law. <laughs> this is when we got the law. Yes. Right. It's it's really helpful having the the context to that, and also just from my perspective, seeing how these these debates uh, these debates aren't new. Um, you can no. change the year or a couple of names in some of these news stories, uh, some of the organizations have changed names. So these are not exactly new issues, but um, they remain uh, critically important. And we're hoping that this, uh, these reforms can, uh, can move us in the right direction. I think there's a, a couple of important counterpoints. One is that I think that there, even though I would say most nursing homes, in my opinion, don't don't most nursing home residents don't have access to the quality of care or quality of life services promised in the reform law. Um, I think that care overall 
Um, the conditions have gotten um, substantially better than they were 40 years ago. I mean, and I personally remember visiting my my great grandmother in a nursing home, and I remember it smelled bad. I remember she she was alone in a in a dark room, and she was like fiddling with rubber bands. They that that was her activity. Oh my um, god. Yeah. And so you don't see, you know, as much of that. Obviously, we still have a big issue with chemical restraints, overuse mm-hmm. of antipsychotic drugs, et cetera. But we don't see as much physical restraints nearly mm-hmm. as, as we mm-hmm. used to at that time. So I think that is different. And I think the other thing which kind of gets to some of the things that the president is um, is, is hopefully going to be implementing is we have much um, more data. So we have much better information about what's going on with nursing home residents and in nursing homes. Uh, some of it's better than other data, but but we have more and hopefully we'll have even more mm-hmm. and better data uh, of that. But also, and this also you know gets to what the White House is proposing is that we have, I think the companies now are much, much more sophisticated. Even in my, um, you know, I would say even in the last 10 years in, in, in the latter half of my career to date, we've seen, um, uh, much more investment by first by real estate investment trusts, mm-hmm. and then by as you know by private equity and other kind of private you know very sophisticated private investment schemes rather than a so-called mom and pop facility. Um, so less of a connection to the community. Um, more we have much many more for-profit than not-for-profit nursing homes than we did mm-hmm. um, 40, 50 years ago. So there there are. There's been progress, and at the same time, there's been other things that need to be addressed that weren't even, couldn't have been considered 40 or 50 years ago. I think the ownership changes are one of the biggest changes uh, that we didn't have when the reform law was passed in 87. I agree completely. And there's so much hiding of who owns the facility, and there's so much self-dealing and constantly changing their names if they get in trouble or people, same people create a new corporation and then claim, we have no record to report to you, we're fine. Well, (laughs) but you know, that's because it's a new corporation you created yesterday. There's a lot of that that we did not have before. They've gotten very sophisticated. And that that a number of the provisions in in the president's reform agenda are trying to get more information about that, just to understand what's going on. Uh, Very, very important. Yeah, so uh, we're going to close with our guest uh, recommendation uh, segment where uh, I'll ask uh, for a nursing home related or a long-term care related recommendation. This can be a book, a movie, uh, a TV show, a, a, it can be anything other than a non-nursing home recommendation. So I'm going to start with Richard and you're going to give me a non-nursing home recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> Eric knows this is going to be a tough one for me because I've been, there's been so much going on in our in our worlds lately. Uh, but I've been watching The Gilded Age, uh, which I think is on HBO, and it's very, very enjoyable. And, and very as, as a New Yorker who, who likes history as well, it's really interesting to see and to kind of figure out or try to figure out who the, the families were. Some of the, the Gilded Age, of course, refers to the the waning years of the 19th century and these robber barons who just had unbelievable amounts of money because there was no tax, there were no income taxes at all at that point. Uh, it's interesting to see and interesting to see those different perspectives. Great, uh, thanks. And uh, Richard's past uh, TV recommendations have been have been good. You had you steered <laughs> me towards Succession. Yes, and Succession I, really I haven't I, I haven't gotten into the 
it was the great British baking show. That was another one of that's, yours. That's right? a fun, yeah, that, that's a fun. Yeah, I haven't gotten into that, but I've heard good things. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I, Toby, what do you what do you have for us? Uh, nursing home related wreck. Okay. Well, in 1985, Kirk Douglas was in a TV movie called Amos, and he played a nursing home resident who had difficulties. And as he described this when he testified, now of course, Congress at that point in the 80s, whenever there was a hearing, they liked to have somebody who was in a movie about the topic. And he was testifying about it, about what, what to do about nursing homes. And I thought he was fascinating. He said, I'm an actor, you know, I'm an actor. I got this script and it looked very far-fetched to me about how bad things were. So I had my staff research it and they came back and they said, yes, it's all true. This is what's going on in nursing homes. So he said, I'm here just to bring attention to the issue. But if you want to know what to do about it, listen to the experts who will testify after me which I thought was amazing because he got a lot of attention. The whole committee, the whole dais was filled with members of Congress to see Kirk Douglas. Um, and even later, Mr. Waxman said, when we had Kirk Douglas as the honorary chair of our campaign for quality care to try to get that those recommendations made into law, um, Mr. Waxman said, we're going to take this, we're going to take these recommendations, and we're going to do it, we're going to make the law, and he did. So Kirk Douglas, as an actor, brought attention to our issue, and it was really wonderful. So we need more, uh, more celebrities in this. We need more celebrities. More influencers. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I'm probably, many of the people here don't even know who Kirk Douglas, listening right. don't even know who Kirk Douglas, even his son, Michael Douglas, was there, and he might be right. not somebody that people know. But yeah, it would be good to get our own right. movie actors again. Okay, so if you're a movie actor or a Hollywood star listening <laughs> to, this, to this podcast, yes, please. reach out to us, please. I, <laughs> but but I thanks so much for... Uh, for coming on the uh, the podcast and uh we'll, i'm sure we'll we'll talk again and appreciate it thanks so thank much. you thanks eric toby thanks so much